Welcome to another episode of the Responding to Life podcast. My guest today is Dr. Kumkum Sarkar Patel, who is a double board certified gastroenterologist practicing at Providence St. Jude and Providence St. Joseph Heritage Medical Groups in Orange County, California. She specializes in irritable bowel syndrome, esophageal, and anorectal disorders. She graduated magna cum laude with honors with a Bachelor of Science degree in biomedical engineering from Virginia Commonwealth University. She has a master's degree in public health from Dartmouth Medical School and went on to get her medical degree from St. George's University School of Medicine. She completed her residency in internal medicine at NYU Winthrop Hospital and went on to gastroenterology fellowship at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Dr. Patel completed specialized training in GI motility disorders at Washington University in St. Louis through the American Neurogastroenterology and Motility Society. Using her motility training, Dr. Patel helped set up the Motility and GERD Center at a private practice in Chicago before moving to Southern California with her husband and two young sons in July 2020. Dr. Patel currently serves as a healthcare consultant and speaker for medical device and pharmaceutical companies. She also serves on the American College of Gastroenterology's Women in GI Committee to promote advancement for women in GI. Additionally, she's a passionate, motivational speaker and has spoken nationally about women's health, work-life balance, postpartum depression, burnout, and gut health related to mental health. Outside of medicine, she enjoys spending time with her husband and sons, traveling, and singing a cappella. Dr. Patel's Instagram platform can be found on Dr. Gut Motility. She uses this as an informational, as well as an inspirational platform to educate others on gastrointestinal diseases while inspiring them on lifestyle choices. And so without further ado, let's get started and hear from Dr. Patel. Hi, Dr. Patel. I'm so excited to be speaking with you again. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, you know, it's so great. I met you back in the spring at the SoCal Wellness event, and I knew when I was speaking to you that I had to have you on the show so that you can share your great advice and wisdom on gut health with our many listeners who are in the process of trying to conceive into pregnancy and well into parenthood. Absolutely. with that, I'm just going to dive right in and I have a list of questions and l- let's see what we can get to. I want to get to like all the things that we need to know in 30 minutes or less. All no right. pressure. No pressure. No <laughs> pressure. 30 minutes. We got this. We got uh, so, this. you know, I hear a lot about the mind-body connection and I'd love for you to share the link between gut health and mental health. Absolutely. You know, so they called the gut the second brain and that's because the nerves in the gut form something called the enteric nervous system. And the enteric nervous system actually communicates with the brain up here using something called the vagus nerve. And the gut microbiome, which is the bacteria in our gut, are actually what's responsible for making our mood because they actually help generate the neurotransmitters. That's the happy hormones, the sad hormones, like you think of serotonin, dopamine. That's actually predominantly made in the gut. And so we rely on our gut microbes to make those, and then they travel to the brain via the vagus nerve and tell us what's going on. The opposite also happens. So the brain is sensing sometimes external things about stress, some some things that are causing anxiety, depression. 
that starts to alter how our intestines move and which microbes and gut bacteria will flourish and which, um, you know, foods we tend to crave because we may want saltier or, or sweeter foods. And that alters how we, you know, um, uh, make our neurotransmitters. So it's one, it's a cycle, right? The gut influences the brain and the brain influences the gut. And they're very intimately connected because one, one changes, the other one in, inevitably will follow. That's so fascinating. You know, you often hear about mental health, but um, gut health associated with that is not frequently talked about. And so I'd love to dive into that a little bit more then. So it, a lot of the listeners are people who are, are parents and they're tired and they're stressed out. Um, I'm curious to hear from you, like, how can they change what they're eating or optimize what they're eating in order to, to boost up their wellness and their energy levels? Yes. So you want to try to have more foods that are going to help you make those happy hormones, right? So foods that contain um, the precursors to serotonin. So that's tryptophan. You don't necessarily make serotonin on its own, but you can You make uh, tryptophan and tryptophan is gotten through things like turkey, things like um, nuts, seeds like pumpkin seeds, pineapple. Eating those things can help boost um, those, uh, you know, happy hormones and the production of those happy hormones. The most important thing I would say is fiber. Okay. Fiber is, and then there's many forms of that and we can talk about it, but fiber is a technically a carbohydrate. You get them, you think of them as the, the roughage in your veggies, like the Brussels sprouts, the broccoli, things like that. They are the main product that get broken down by the bacteria in our gut to something called short chain fatty acids. Okay. Now short chain fatty acids are what our gut intestines rely on to start making all the happy hormones. They rely on the short chain fatty acids to even um, get to the signals to say, okay, we're full. So our satiety, our signal to say, okay, we shouldn't be overeating is reliant on fiber breakdown. Okay. Our, um, our, our signals that tell us that we shouldn't overeat or that we are actually full are reliant on that. Our signals for um, shutting down over inflammation comes from that. So it's very important to be able to feed those bacteria. And the main thing that we recommend to feed that bacteria is fiber. Okay. I mean, you hear people say have fiber, have this, have all of that, but you never hear um, why the real reasons for for how it, it actually functions in our system. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, so fiber for all the overworked and tired parents yes. out there. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, you know, another, um, another part of my uh, community in terms of listeners are people who are trying to get pregnant, who may or may not be experiencing infertility. And a lot of times, you know, the infertility doctors are saying, okay, well, we've got the medicine part, we've got all this part, and we need you to work on the stuff that you can work on. And a lot of times that's the diet. So what tips do you have for people who are experiencing infertility who are trying to optimize their ability to get pregnant? So, you know, I, I am an IVF warrior um, times two, as you know, and I remember those times, you know, where you're trying to eat everything 
possible that could, you know, improve your fertility. Now, the most important thing is to try to reduce your stress and things that are going to keep you in a less stress mode are less processed foods, right? Because you want to optimize the least amount of hormones externally. You're, you're trying to optimize the least amount of processed foods externally because you want to be as healthy as possible. So more fruits and veggies, obviously. Um, and they, you know, then there's uh, all these, um, I don't know if I would say it's called old wives tales, but like, oh, eating more pineapples. Why? It, it, the, the pineapple is considered like the, the fruit of fertility. And the reason why is because it contains like the core of the pineapple actually contains something called bromelain. Okay. Bromelain is similar to um, the, um, the enzyme that you find in oxytocin. It causes uh, contractions in your uterus and in increases the uh, flow of blood to your uterus. So the thought is that if you eat things that contain these enzymes that likely you'll get more blood flow to those reproductive organs and therefore perhaps you'll have a higher chance for better fertility, right? So that's why, that's how the pineapple became the fruit of fertility. Um, it's because it contains bromelain. And so there's that. But obviously you shouldn't be eating high amounts of bromelain once you get pregnant because it is, can be what we call an abortifacient, which means that it can stimulate too much contraction once you're pregnant and maybe even uh, not allow for the pregnancy to stick. So you want to be careful about these these old wives' tales and people saying, eat this, not that, and what amount, because they can have deleterious side effects. You know, you don't you don't want to overdo any of this kind of stuff. So um, take that with, with what it is, everything in moderation. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And uh, I love you telling us the story of the uh, pineapple because you're right. It's like all over, um, you know, as an infertility advocate myself, like all over, you see pineapples everywhere and it's interesting. Everywhere, to hear everywhere. The, the backstory of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am interested in knowing what are, um, what are the things that I'm eating that are kind of messing up my gut health? Okay, I would say the biggest things that you're probably eating that are messing up your gut health is sugar, and specifically sugar in the form of fructose. Okay, so there's sugar comes in many forms, right? You look at any um, label food food packaging, and sugar is called one of like 60 things. Like it's called coconut sugar, palm sugar, date sugar, honey, agave, fructose, high fructose corn syrup, glucose. You name it. It's it's some form of a sugar or sugar substitute, which is going to raise your blood glucose levels. Okay. Now the most um, dangerous form, in my opinion, is most likely is, is fructose and high fructose corn syrup, because this is not necessarily metabolized or processed by all the cells in your body. It's mostly um, metabolized by your liver. Okay. And your liver is saying, okay, well, you've got this um, sugar that you just took. Um, and it, it actually prevents the, the feeling of fullness, right? So after you eat something that's high in fructose, you don't get the signal from our brain to say, okay, we're full, we're done. So you keep on feeling more and more hungry. So you end up ingesting a lot of calories and you end up ingesting a lot of other things to help get that sugar fix, okay? So once you keep on eating, this is leading to insulin resistance. This is leading to diabetes. This is leading to fatty liver obesity. So if you're trying to get in shape and you're trying to get healthy, you want to limit the foods that are constantly triggering you to eat more, 
right? You want to be able to feel full and ingest the amount of calories you need because anything that's excess is getting stored up and it's getting stored up as fat. And even, um, you know, high amounts of insulin levels floating around will then eventually just turn all this sugar and carbohydrates into fat. So even if you didn't eat a big high fatty meal and you had a meal that had a lot of sugar in it, it's going to get converted into fat. So the biggest thing that you can do is to reduce your sugar and carb intake and specifically refined sugar. I feel like you were speaking directly to me. <laughs> I feel like this was an intervention. <laughs> it's, it's only because you're looking at me right now directly eye to eye and I'm wearing my scrubs with, with my name on it. And you're like, yep. I just had a one-to-one with my doctor who said, stop eating. Yep. (laughs) Well, that is, thank you for that explanation because, you know, you hear like, again, you hear, okay, just don't do this, but really, really down to the core of why, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I'm curious about would be um, probiotics. Okay. Yay, nay, what are we doing here? So, you know, there isn't enough studies out there saying that XYZ probiotic is the best one because all of us have a different blueprint in terms of the bacteria that we have in our gut. Yes, we have certain types of bacteria that all of us have, but all of us have a different quantity or ratio in our bodies. That's dictating why some of us are you know, more overweight than others, why some of us are more insulin resistant than others, why some of us can lose weight easier than others. So there's all this different changes and it's an ever-changing blueprint, right? You have bad sushi one day and you get a food poisoning. Guess what? You've changed or altered your gut bacteria because you introduce bad bacteria from that that, uh, poisonous food and now you've changed your gut bacteria. So the reason why people want to take probiotics is because we know that influencing our gut microbes with good ones is obviously beneficial for that exact reason, right? The gut microbiome is what's responsible for making those good hormones, those short chain fatty acids that we need to kind of be healthy, to help our immune system. But there isn't one silver bullet capsule out there that's perfect for everyone because all of us have a different blueprint. That's number one. Number two, all of us need different bacteria at different amounts. So there isn't a dose that's perfect for really anyone, right? There are, there's so many ones out there on the market. There's, you know, uh, a line, there's cultural, there's seed, there's ritual, there's all these different ones. Instagram, like will populate your uh, feed all over and tell you. And then there's influencers with, you know, 125 million followers who are like, oh yeah, I got a six pack because I took this one probiotic. And you're like, I'm going to get that. And, you know, and the unfortunate thing is that person likely has one really good microbes in, in the, in the, you know, to begin with, and they're probably really healthy, but it wasn't just because they took that one probiotic. Right. And so yay, in the sense that you want to infuse your, your diet with foods that are going to feed good bacteria and that have good bacteria, such as yogurt, uh, kefir, kimchi, sauerkraut, Um, more fruits and veggies, because again, those will diversify the bacteria in your gut and they will also feed the good bacteria, right? So you should be able to get everything that you need through the foods that you're eating, because otherwise 
you're having to supplement, right? You shouldn't have to rely on supplements and pills outside of your diet, right? And that's why they're called supplements because they're supplemental. They're not vital. Otherwise, they would be called vitals, right? It's called supplements for a reason because you're having to supplement on top of a good diet. But if you're getting a good diet, you're getting everything you need. So I would just recommend, honestly, if you can get your food and your diet as diverse as possible, incorporate as many different fruits and veggies as you can, you know, eat the rainbow, uh, they say. And that's really good because you can introduce different microbes, different foods that feed these bacteria, and then you won't have to rely on the probiotics. If you absolutely just can't figure out eating and you're like, no, you know, I'm just just not going to be on a diet. And so I'm going to rely on probiotics. Fine. Find one that has a variety of bacteria in there. But just know that it's not a one shot and it's not a one step silver bullet to reset your gut by taking that pill. Thank you for that. That was really um, that was that was very helpful because like you said, you're inundated with all these different like um, silver bullets to to sort of be one and done, but um, it's helpful to get that that sort of deeper explanation. And but then as you were talking, I was wondering then, like how would I know if I'm not if I if my the the gut health in there, the bacteria, the good bacteria is is doing okay? Or if it's all messed up, like, are there certain symptoms and signs that we should be aware of? Sure. I mean, there are, you know, every sign technically can be a sign of poor gut health, right? You think about bloating, you think about um, weight gain, you think about tiredness, fatigue, um, you think of diarrhea, you think of constipation, all these things are a result of a change in the bacteria in your gut. And so how can you know, uh, well, if there's been a change in your bowel habits, if there's a change in how you are eating or after eating, if, if all of a sudden you constantly bloat, or if you're having a hard time, um, you know, losing weight, those are signs that you likely have now more bacteria that is causing you to, one, have those symptoms Two, your bacteria are influenced by the stressors that you may be having, and that's not allowing that good bacteria to grow. So it's a, it's, it's a whole lot of things. And usually changes in your bowel habits and your symptoms are a sign that, um, you know, something is, is out of whack. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye out for all of those. It's very helpful to like just have a running checklist in your mind, in the back of your mind, to just be aware like of what's happening within your own body. Yeah. Um, and and then you know, so I said that there are women who are listening here who are trying to get pregnant, and then once we're into parenthood, and then there's a subset of women out there who are um, premenopausal, going into menopause. Anything different that they need to know about their gut health? Yeah, I think that the most important thing that as you age, you have to realize that muscle mass is probably the most important thing in in your health overall, not just gut health, your health overall, because muscles are the most important organ for insulin sensitivity. Your muscles help regulate inflammation. It helps uptake the sugar out of your bloodstream and lower blood glucose. It influences how you burn fat. It influences... Um, just overall your metabolism. So 
as we get older, starting at age 40, you actually lose up to 8% of your muscle mass. After the age of 70, you start losing 15% of your muscle mass. So you think about the fact that as you get older, you get softer. And no matter how much you diet, it's just harder and harder to lose weight. Yeah, that's because you're losing muscle mass. That's your primary organ that's there to be your metabolic booster, right? And your primary way to burn energy is your muscles. Now, if you're losing muscle mass, you're losing the ability to put that blood sugar somewhere so it gets converted to fat and it gets packed on, right? So you think about your grandma, right? Perfect example. Why is she so sweet and soft? Not because she's morbidly obese and she's eating way worse than she used to. It's because she's lost muscle mass as she's gotten older. And now, no matter what she eats, that excess has nowhere to go and it's being stored as fat. So, and you become more and more insulin resistant when you ha don't have that muscle mass. And so you tend to eat more, you know, sugary foods, that's changing your gut microbiome, then that's, you know, causing stress, anxiety, depression as you get older, you're losing muscle mass. So all of that is, is intimately related. So I would say the most important thing to realize as you um, get older, and especially if you're premenopausal, you know, um, that with estrogen, you're going to have a lot more fat receptors. You're going to have a lot more fat. And as you lose, uh, as you get older, you're going to lose muscle mass. So you want to try to minimize the fat deposition by increasing your muscle mass. So more lifting weights, more resistance training is what you want to concentrate on as you get older. Don't worry about running a mile at eight minutes. Don't worry about doing a hundred hours of cardio. Worry about lifting enough weight to get your leg muscles, your arm muscles, your back muscles generating more energy because that is what's going to help you burn everything and keep it going. Well, that took a turn that I was not expecting, but <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> and also in the back of my mind, oh, aging sucks. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you so much for putting that connection together. You know, yeah. um, getting into that stage of life gets so complicated and there's not much out there as we're hearing. So yeah. it's, it's great to be able to infuse more um, knowledge into into you know that phase of life and so uh before we end this episode is you know coming out right before the holidays at the start of the holidays and so that comes with a lot of typically not so great eating i'm wondering if you could share any tips for us you know as we go out to all these parties what we can remember what we can sort of um try to be mindful about when yeah out there absolutely so if you're going to eat um, treats, all these holidays are coming up. It's important to try to incorporate your protein and your fiber first, because if you do that, you'll get a less of a spike in your blood sugar and your insulin. So that when you do eat that piece of cake, that celebratory piece of cake that you deserve, you'll get a less spike afterwards. If you eat your cake first, you'll get a way higher blood sugar spike and an insulin spike, which is a lot worse and will make you gain more weight faster than if you ate your protein and your fiber first. So do yourself a favor, eat your veggies, eat your high protein first, get more full off of that, and then eat, you know, your cake. I'm not saying don't, don't eat the cake at all. Don't, you don't have to skip the cake, but eat that stuff first. 
allow for your body to release a lower amount of insulin so that when you do eat that cake, you can have a less, less of a sugar spike than if you do, if you eat it first. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for that. Like that is just one easy tip to, to be able to easily incorporate without yes, having yes. to like miss out on, on, on all the fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. Patel. It's always so informative speaking to you. I'd love for you to share before we end um, how everyone can follow along and get more tips from you. Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram at doctor, which is dr. Gut, G-U-T, underscore motility. Um, and you can also visit my website at www.kumkumpatelmd.com. Well, it's been such a pleasure. So informative. I feel like I um, have so many things that I can now like act upon to positively influence my gut health. Thank you, Absolutely. Dr. Patel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Responding to Life podcast. I hope you found our amazing guests to be informative and inspirational. For more info on how to follow them, please check out the show notes. If you liked today's episode, we'd greatly appreciate it if you could please leave a quick rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, as it will help others find our show. For more information on Josephine Atlery Meditation and the Responding to Life podcast, please visit jatluri.com and on the website you can sign up for a monthly newsletter that comes with a free mindfulness guide for daily inspiration please follow me on instagram at josephinerlurie and you can also check out my two books on amazon or barnes and noble they are called the mindfulness journal for parents and five minute mindfulness for pregnancy thank you again for listening today